0: This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. For 3rd Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. If you're thinking about starting a business, any business, I want to give you this thought. Great ideas are a dime a dozen. Good implementation is priceless. Does that surprise you to hear me say this? I've listened to the great ideas of hundreds, if not thousands, of physicians. However, very few... Very, very few ever talk to me about how their idea will be implemented. Again, great ideas fail daily. You can even Google the greatest product failures of all time. They include things like the Ford Edsel, Sony Betamax, uh, the New Coke, smokeless cigarettes. it's, It's a wonderful list of interesting products, some you heard of, some you never heard of. The point is this. They all failed because some step in the implementation process wasn't fully thought out, and one or sometimes more than one element of implementation resulted in the failure of a really good product. And I hear about really great ideas every day. One particular physician offhandedly told me about a sports drink he and a friend had developed. He explained that in reality it was three sports drinks, that is, one drink that you used before your exercise, one that you used during your exercise, and one afterward. I thought it sounded pretty interesting, and I suggested it was something he really ought to pursue. Well, he declined. He he just didn't think anyone would buy three sports drinks to be used in combination, Not not even professional athletes. Well, it wasn't too long after our conversation that I saw an ad from Gatorade, probably the leading company in sports drinks and nutrition in the country. They were introducing their G-Series of performance drinks advertised as one called Prime, two called Perform, and three called Recover. Three sports drinks designed to be used in combination before, during, and after exercise. Well, unfortunately, my client had had nothing to do with the G-Series. A really, really great idea. But, you know, Gatorade has continued to to expand on this approach to energy, hydration, and recovery in different ways to this day. I have other stories, some not quite so dramatic, and some that may sound very familiar to you. For example, have you ever said or heard an associate say, I know how to help physicians have more successful practices? You know, I've advised colleagues for years, but how can I make a living offering my advice? Well, that's called consulting. If you speak with successful consultant entrepreneurs, what you'll find is this. They generally split their time among delivering services, selling services, performing necessary background, I'll say sales, marketing, research types of activities, and managing the business of their business. And in a very successful consultancy, the division of their time will look something like this. About 50% of their time represents delivering billable services. About 30% of their time is geared towards selling services. About 15% goes to performing that background activity. And about 5% is in the business of managing their business. Now you know why consultants charge higher hourly rates than individuals earn performing the very same work in a company. The very best consultants usually get paid for only about half their time. But that's another story. The point the point is this. If you're not spending at least 30% of your time selling your services, you probably aren't going to be successful. That's a simple fact. And if you're like most physicians who view sales as one step below cleaning toilets, then, well, you really aren't going to be successful. My estimation is that for every great idea I hear, maybe one in 10 is accompanied by any thought at all of implementation, and fewer than that have any real implementation plan and strategy. That is running a good business, and the problem is not that clients don't know how. After all, in my work, I provide a considerable amount of the support and background work that's necessary to start these businesses. The fact is this. It's that they simply don't want to commit to the 50% of an entrepreneur's typical time that's not involved in delivering services. That's not perceived as necessary or productive by most physicians I speak with. Now, think about it and look at your current practice. Patients call your office and speak to one staff person. They arrive for an appointment and they speak with several staff people. There may be room by another staff person and vitals perhaps taken by yet another. It goes on and on. On average, patients spend up to an hour engaged with your business for every 10 or 15 minutes you spend with them. So think about that. You, the physician, is spending nearly 100% of your time in direct interaction or service delivery with your patients. Yet, that accounts for only 25 or 30% of the total time required to serve that patient now as an entrepreneur you're responsible not just for that direct billable client time but you're responsible for all the time required to be able to implement that billable idea so ask yourself this when you call your attorney or your accountant or a colleague to engage in some business transaction or discussion about you know for example your quarterly statements or or a managed care contract or some patient care issue, how much time do you spend with their subordinates or their second-tier associates rather than with the actual professional whose advice you're seeking? I'll bet the answer is not much, and if I'm wrong, I'd bet an even larger amount that you're not very happy with that person. Learn from your own experiences. Step away from your current business pattern. It will not serve you well outside clinical practice. If your objective is to be an entrepreneur, and particularly if your entrepreneurial pursuit is to sell your knowledge, then once your idea is hatched, spend all your time on how. How to describe and define your product, your service, your idea. How to meet people who may buy your product. And how to sell. When you begin your endeavor, you'll likely have no clients. You're not generating revenue, which equals zero time also delivering services. So take the 50% of your business that's allocated to service delivery time and add that to your sales time. Now, 80% of your time is geared toward selling. And that still will leave you with plenty of time for the other demands of your business. Now, you're focused on implementation and now you have the opportunity to not be among those 90% whose good ideas become someone else's good business. Now don't get me wrong, more entrepreneurs fail than succeed, and most successful entrepreneurs have failed more than they have succeeded. Stop and think about that. I don't say that to discourage you, but rather to encourage you to be realistic. Commonly quoted statistics state that 50% of startups will fail in their first year, and up to 70% will have failed by year 10. So being in business a decade even is not a magic threshold to cross. By the way, I've been in business more than 15 years, so I'm likely to be here if you ever need my help. Sorry for that brief advertising plug. But back on point. According to Fortune magazine, the number one reason startups fail is because they offer a product or a service that no one wants. Think about that. For all you physicians saying to yourself, I know, for example, what an EHR should really do. Or I know how to manage a medical practice. Ask this question. Do EHR companies want to change? And how about other physicians? Do they want their practice to run like yours? Or are they really just wanting their own way to work a little bit better? This is the truth. And I used to work for one of the three largest healthcare information technology companies in the world. They don't want you to design their EHR. And even if they did, they're not going to pay you for it. Again, that's just the truth. First, most EHRs are purchased by administrators, that is, non-physicians. And they're purchased not to better manage medical care, but rather to manage the medical and health care processes, to correctly record and calculate fees, and to provide a trackable record of production and productivity. So, who's making those decisions? It's the CEOs, it's the CFOs, and it's others involved in managing the activities of healthcare. And note again, I say healthcare, not medicine. They are the ones the major health information technology companies are listening to. And if they want physician input on specific functionality, they'll simply convene a group of physicians from within their client base, and those doctors will be more than happy to give away their best advice and best wish list entirely for free. You're not going to start a career based on something no one wants or on something everyone knows they can get for free. That then becomes your second question. Your first question is to define what you want to be doing, but the very quickly asked second question is, who wants this? Right now, I'm sure half of you listening to this are saying, I know what the market needs. And frankly, you may be absolutely correct. Regardless, let me redirect your thinking. This is not about needs, it is about wants. And there's a really big difference. I have to chuckle, it reminds me of a letter I received from my grandmother when I was in college. I remember opening the envelope and a $20 bill fell out. And I thought, wow, that's nice. But then there was this letter. And in this letter, my grandmother explained to me that she was sending me $20 so that I might buy some things I needed, my needs. She then went on to differentiate my youthful wants from her definition of my needs and to Emphasize, this money was to be used strictly for needs, not my college age wants. So, understanding that difference is vital. So, yes, doctor, you are absolutely correct. EHRs do need refocusing to better meet the needs of physicians, both individually and within the greater medical community. But, neither EHR companies nor those who generally write the checks for EHR systems care about those changes. Returning then to that second question, who wants what you're do- going to offer? Who wants your idea? What problem of want will your idea satisfy? And if I could ramp the whole needs and wants conversation up to a higher level, does your idea, your service, your product address both a want and perhaps a need? That can be the easiest sell of all. Think about it this way. Right now, if you had a case of N95 face masks, how fast could you sell them? Well, why? Because they satisfy both a want and a need. People want them, and they want them because they need them. During times of crisis, needs and wants, wants and needs, they sometimes merge. During times of crisis, logical needs may begin to outweigh illogical wants. Again, using today's pandemic as an example, we need very sophisticated healthcare planning to analyze and define the spread of COVID-19 and also to allocate scarce resources for the best possible outcomes. In normal times, many in our government and leadership would advocate against that level of centralized control and management of health care. Many don't want that type of government intervention, but during a crisis, the want and the need can merge. As you consider your great idea, does it have relevance in crisis management? Stop and think about that. We now have and are very likely to continue to have for some extended period of time a focus on better managing the next healthcare crisis. Does your great idea or can your great idea be presented in some way that it might be called a crisis tool? That's just a thought. Consider this though, returning to your ability to influence or your interest in influencing electronic health record development. Right now, physicians and nurses don't have enough personal protective equipment. However, it's been shown that in some situations that PPE exists within a vendor's warehouse. It's just not being distributed quickly and directly enough to satisfy the need. What if your EHR upgrade linked supply distribution to patient diagnoses and could be adjusted to provide supplies based on hospital trends, current records, or on a set of projected changes? And that data was driven at the nursing unit level. Well, now, based on an anticipated influx of patients, the EHR would be able to drive the restocking of a specific nursing unit in anticipation of real-time needs. As long as the warehouse has stock, no nursing unit should ever have a shortage of supplies. But that's just one twist you might have on EHR development, and this twist is shifting the focus to a want that also today, immediately today, further answers a need. The challenge is this. Your interest in EHR development may focus principally on medical management, on providing physicians with more or better information to manage their patients, or on simply structuring EHR data to be easier to access and understand. But if your primary focus can be incorporated into a larger want and need, You'll stand a greater chance of being heard and of being successful. Look at your great ideas from various perspectives and expand or narrow them based on your knowledge of the market. As I said, most successful entrepreneurs have failed more than they have succeeded. What that means is, with each failure, they've returned to the proverbial drawing board and either brainstormed a new idea or they reevaluated and then retooled their failed effort. Again, implementation is often more valuable than the product or the service. Let's face it, have you ever heard of Popeel Pocket Fisherman? If you haven't, Google it. It's a plastic fishing rod that literally, literally folds in half to fit in your back pocket. Highly needed for those spontaneous sightings of Moby Dick on the horizon. Well, hardly. But Ron Popeil is a marketing genius, and he created a want not a need for this little tool. He's done the same for a litany of products that generally don't fall into the range of need but he has built and created an exponential want factor. What then is implementation? First, you have your idea. That is what you want to do. Second, vetted that idea under the spotlight of is it wanted? And is it needed? Frankly, I believe need provides a certain safety net in decision-making, but it's generally a false premise. In a normal market conditions, generally, at best, a second condition behind want. There are exceptions, of course, even, even in normal times. My wife, for example, never wants to buy tires. And I mean never. She considers buying tires for her car a necessary, needed evil. But... In normal market situations, and in the context of what I've seen my clients interested in doing or developing, need at an absolute level, like tires, it's rarely applicable. If something represents that level of need, it's likely already in the market and very hard to compete against, displace, or improve on. Most of the entrepreneurial endeavors I see physicians engaging in are predicated on their personal knowledge base, and often strictly on imparting that personal information and knowledge to others within healthcare. That's what I'm going to focus on. If you're traveling down a different path, and I've not yet produced a podcast or blog post on that topic, just call me. I'll be happy to discuss your objectives with you. But again, back on point, implementation in the beginning is a factor of six principal elements. First, you have to know what you want to do. First, you have what I will simply refer to as your idea, your product or service, again, here and after, again, your idea. Second, you've vetted your idea. You know it's wanted and you know whether or not it is also needed and in what context. Third, you've produced at least a rudimentary business plan. Now, the scope of your business plan depends on how your plan will be used, who's going to see it, and why. Let me give you an example. If you require outside funding, whether from investors, funding managers, or from a uh, known lending source, your plan will need to include considerable detail of your idea, its competitive positioning and logic, your sales and marketing strategy, your service or product delivery models, and a financial pro showing startup costs, funding sources, uh, ramp up modeling for both revenue and expense, and three to five years of performance. If investors are to be involved, certainly the value of their investment will necessarily be included. But if you don't require outside funding, you're going to bootstrap your great idea, then the material is simply for your own or your own team's use. You want to consider the same steps, but they don't need to be as eloquently produced or as compelling in rationale. As effectively an internal versus an external document, your business plan is more of a personal roadmap with processes, policies, procedures, and the like. But I'd still produce a Performa. Frankly, in every business enterprise I've ever been engaged in, a Performa is one of the first documents I produce. Form follows finance, as an old friend of mine always stated, and understanding your finances clearly will allow you to take the most appropriate operational actions. Fourth, start talking. I said at the beginning you should be spending about 80% of your time during startup and sales activities. Well, it's time to get out the door. I know that's not literally possible now. But when it is, go out there and talk to people face-to-face. For now, get on your phone. Start blogging, emailing, expending the proverbial shoe leather in order to talk about your idea. And while I'll call this sales time, selling is not merely a transactional activity. It's much more than that. The selling process is first and foremost establishing contacts. It's networking. When you're thinking of contacts, consider your contacts in very different yet valuable categories. For example, you have contacts who are market barometers. Through your interactions, they will help you better understand the market, better define your product or service in the context of what the market wants, and they'll help focus you on both existing and emerging market issues that will help you in developing your product or service, and lastly, they can likely introduce you to other important contacts. Then you have contacts who can and will advise you on your own best business practices. Then you have contacts who are literally legitimate selling targets. And lastly, you have contacts who can help you recharge your batteries, who are willing to be sounding boards and what I might call venting boards because, you know, every once in a while we all just need to vent. Importantly, treat all your contacts well. Appreciate that having contacts, networking, it's a give and take. It's a back and forth. It is not just them giving to you, but you have to bring something of value to them as well. This is the first level of selling. It's direct, but what about indirect? That is your web, social media, other advertising or marketing venues. Again, You may have direct selling, such as vendor setup at a conference, or indirect through advertising and specialty publications. But in some ways, what's going to happen is your list will grow and grow and grow. And the more it grows, the more you're going to realize you're running out of time, and you're going to have to start prioritizing your sales and marketing efforts in order to maximize your time and the return on your time. Fifth, let's talk about delivery and deliverables. Know how you'll physically and or functionally deliver your product or service. What's involved in delivery? Is your product emailed? Is it delivered as part of a presentation? Are you face-to-face or do you do, do you use web conferencing? What makes your product or service stand out is based on how it is delivered. For example, timing, promptness, how clients are treated, all those factors, big and small, are important to effectively deliver your product. And when it comes to to delivery, one of the most important and often overlooked elements is this. Expectation. What do your customers expect? And never, never take expectation for granted. Be clear. Specify what is to be delivered, how it is to be delivered, and even why. You can provide what you consider perfect service, but if it's not what the customer expected, if you don't meet their expectations, you will have failed. And if you keep returning to the core element of why businesses fail, they fail because they don't deliver what customers want. You know the critical factor against what you must consistently measure your idea and how it is delivered. This is it. Are you delivering what your customers want. I constantly ask my clients what they want. What are their expectations? You know, I ask if they believe their expectations are being met, and if not, what's missing? Meeting expectations and satisfying the wants of your customers is most often reflected in the nuance. It's the details. It's the small things of your delivery and your deliverables. Sometimes it's simply a matter of explaining your deliverables in the right context. Sometimes it's about about timing. Regardless, know what your customers want. Know what they expect. And it's much easier to deliver the right product or service. Sixth and last, what's your branding and your packaging? In other words, what's your look? What are your colors? Think about your packaging in terms of what you might call hard copy and electronic. What do you want to convey in your packaging and your brand? What is your image, both your business image and your personal image? What is the quality factor of the materials that you use? Do your colors, your graphics, all your visual elements of your brand convey the image you want? And can you express? your branding or imaging. Can you explain what your packaging means? For example, I'm often asked, why is my company called Third Evolution? Well, it's a simple explanation, but it's twofold. First, working with me represents a third step in a physician's career path. The first was education and training. The second is practice. And a non-clinical transition represents their third, their third evolution. And it is an evolutionary activity. The second explanation is even more simple. This is my third iteration of this business. I began working under the corporate umbrella of another company. From that company, a physician, associate, and I broke away to start our own business. And upon his retirement, I rebranded the business and I've been running it ever since. So you see, my name has meaning and it makes sense and I can explain it. In about 30 seconds. Well, literally 30 seconds. And you should be able to do the same. As you consider delivery, branding, and packaging, look at the details of small things. It may sound silly, but when it comes to customer service, whether during my days in retailing, publishing, or healthcare, I always said this a smile and politeness cost you nothing, but they can earn you a great deal in return and respect. I hope this discussion has helped you focus on the difference between a great idea and great implementation. I hope you see what an initial list of the details you need to address are, and I'm certain that as you immerse yourself in your idea, you'll uncover many other details that will be critical to your success, and it will be your attention to those details that allows your great idea to be a great success. I'll leave you with one more brief story. Many years ago, I worked with a boutique healthcare consulting organization. I met one of the principals at the airport in the city where my first assignment was to occur. Upon introducing myself, I started to explain a bit about myself, intending to rely on my stump speech, but he quickly waved me away with his hand and interrupted to say, Bob, I really only have one question for you. Has anyone ever paid you for your opinion? I was a bit startled by the brusqueness of his question, but when I responded in the affirmative, he simply smiled and said, that's all I need to know. Now, I know many physicians whose opinions are sought out on any number of topics and issues by their peers, by hospital administrators, and by vendors. But the simple test of how much your opinions are wanted is this, has anyone ever paid you for your opinion? As always, if you have questions or comments, about this podcast or any other issue of Non-Clinical Careers for Physicians, please don't hesitate to contact me at 720-339-3585. That's for voice, message, or text. For Third Evolution, this is Robert Pretty. Thank you for listening.